Hey everybody, this is Cameron in the edit. Just want to let you know there is a longish conversation about alcohol abuse in this episode and a short conversation about suicide. Uh, just letting you know that at the top, thanks so much for listening to Mages and Murder Dads, and I'll let you get right to the episode. Welcome back to Mages and Murder Dads, uh, the best show beyond Baldur's Gate. I don't think that's the right intro, but uh, I'm Cameron. And I'm Danny. We're playing Disco Elysium. This is season something. I've lost track entirely. Or, let's you know, let's I'm, recount them. I'm right. really a, like a Harry Dubois type at this point. I'm just <laughs> doing stuff. Yeah, let's uh, yeah, let's recount them. So we got uh, season one was Baldur's, Baldur's Gate. Gate one. Yes, correct. Season two was Siege of Dragonspear. Season three was Baldur's Gate two. Season four was Baldur's Gate two colon Throne of Ball. Season five, Planescape Torment. Season six, the Accursed Game. <laughs> the, the game that will not be named. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess that puts us at season seven here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were some, some bonus episodes in there about the, uh, uh, the inf informative episodes, perhaps, uh, about uh, Baldur's Gate 3. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, kind, sure. Kind of season, season question mark preview episodes. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so this is season seven. We've been playing Disco Elysium for a few episodes now, and uh, yeah, now this is episode 71, and we're continuing to talk about it. We have gotten to the fishing village mm -hmm. and uh, done a little bit of stuff there, and now we're, this is, what would you say, this is a little bit more of a side quest episode? Um, yes. Filling some stuff out? So yes, we're going to, there's just a couple of like little tiny ingredients that mm -hmm. we need to accomplish before we get to, um, like, the main inflection point of the game in terms of the main quest. Mm -hmm. So Man, gotta, you know what I'm going to make you do right now? Are you going to make me recap it? Yep, I'm going to make you do that. Let me, let me be uh, completely honest. Nothing has happened in this game. Debate me. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Um... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, no, you're right. Uh, yeah, this is a that, like we have found out stuff that has happened in the past, mm -hmm. but nothing in mm -hmm. this game has occurred other than us discovering the stuff that happened in the past. Well, I would say the, the there are a couple major things that have happened in the present that that maybe are important. The first was that uh, you know we were summoned. Um, because that's uh, how the, the police get places. We, we were playing a, a detective, Harry Dubois, who was summoned to uh, this little part of the city here. A magic maze. circle was made, and like sea salt mm -hmm. incantations were chanted, and then poof. Uh, Saltwater taffy was chewed. <laughs> a lot uh, of salt. Yeah, Epsom salt was used, uh, <laughs> and of course, uh, heavily ionized salt. Mm -hmm. uh, Shotguns with shells packed with rock salt. Uh, kosher salt was there as mm -hmm. well. Um, and then just a lot of like bad feelings about uh, performing poorly. And then some finishing salt right on top of that. Chica, you, chica, chica. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, give it that nice uh, crinkly texture. But uh, so we've been brought here to Martinez to figure out why or to investigate the murder of a man who was hanged. We've been doing that. We uh, we drink ourselves into oblivion. Our our character Harry Dubois. Mm -hmm. We wake up. We meet our um, 
our uh, investigating friend, partner mm-hmm. for this this thing, uh, Kim Kitsuragi. And so I guess I would say things that have happened in the present. Uh, you, meeting Kim Kitsuragi, doing mm-hmm. the autopsy, mm-hmm. intimidating someone for the union, mm-hmm. and finding out that as we speak, there are mercenaries who are preparing to do a military tribunal to murder people in... Uh, to murder whoever they think is responsible for this murder. And we are kind of like racing against time in order to figure it out before they do or before they decide to just kill people. Yeah. Those are things that are happening in the present. If you want to hear, you know, beyond that, we have summarized it in every single episode. You can check out episode 70 if you want to know more about that. But uh, yeah, first little bit of episode 70 has a clear from the time of the revolution to the present (laughs) timeline. (laughs) And also just wanted to know, I tricked you into giving the summary. Oh my god! <laughs> You've learned too much. Damn from this game. Just like I learned how to uh, be a wizard and love the state from mm-hmm. uh, Baldur's Gate One. You've learned how to be an excellent conversational detective from from this game. Damn! Wow, we did it. Video games really do. They they're simulations. Mm-hmm. Of real world scenarios, but uh, what did we? This is kind of an episode, I think, like we just said a minute ago, kind of an episode of clearing, you know, clearing a path a little bit, getting ready for, as you just said, the inflection point of the game. So uh, I don't know. Start telling me about stuff you did. So in terms of like the main quest stuff, it's not a lot, and I feel we can get kind of tackle it here at the front. Mm-hmm. Um, basically there is a thing that like in order to find your gun which we've been missing the whole game mm-hmm. we must uh do a couple of favors for claire evart the um the kind of union boss right mm-hmm. and we've already I think it's evart claire evart claire there you go um we have already done one because we opened the door of that crypto fascist mm-hmm um, and he wants us also to get two signatures as a personal favor for him uh, on this document. Did you get those signatures? Uh, did you get those signatures? I mean, there were signatures on it, and I put That's it in the mail. Well, tell me about it. I looked at it, and it's a uh, it was like a really shady contract mm-hmm. um, that would have allowed Claire... Um, basically the ability to like develop the area around the fishing village and it would have like the construction would have lasted a really long time and it would have been really disruptive to the people that live there. And I was like, this seems gross. And I have like a really high um, like motoric score. So mm-hmm. I just forged the signatures. Or <laughs> then why'd you do that? Because I was talking to, uh, I talked to Kim and Kim was like, yeah, you can forge these. And uh, to Claire, it will appear that you've completed the task, but the people who's forged them will easily be able to like challenge it. And we'll be out of town by the time that happens. It's a little bit of a, uh, I don't know. Hmm. That seems dishonest to me. I'm a, I'm a rock star. That's true. You are just about doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, so so you you just forged the signatures and and open palm windmill slammed it into a mailbox. 
Yeah, I opened it, and and then when I went to Claire, he was like, "Hey, I saw that you put it in the mailbox. I, you know, I, you when you forged it, you did have to uh, go inside. Like, a, so I went inside my little shack where where mm. I was staying to forge it. Because if you try to forge the signatures, you get like a negative ten penalty, um, because like you could be being watched, right? So you have mm. to be in private to forge them. Weird. Mm hmm." And I think also you had to like talk to the people that you were going to get the signatures so that it looked like two observers that um, that you were actually doing the work. This is some real uh, sneakery just across the board. I didn't do any of this shit. Okay. I so I went to the the two people are Lillian, who mm -hmm. is uh, you mentioned her I think in the last episode. Uh, she's the woman with the sword on the jetty. Yes, in the fishing village. I went and talked to her, and I was like, yeah, he says he's going to build a youth center. And she's like, well, I got some kids, and I, I guess I would like a youth center. That would be good. And she says, uh, you know, she, she explains that she took her first drink at 11, mm. and her husband, who, who died, he, he died in a fishing accident. He was drunk and just disappeared um, while fishing. Uh he was also an alcoholic from like a young age. And so she says, you know, I took my first drink when I was 11 and I don't, you know, I want my kids to have something to do. We did it because we were bored. And so, um, now so, yeah, it, so she I didn't it. get that information from her at all. And now it totally makes sense that she rebuffed my advances uh, in like asking her out to like get drunk together. Oh, mm. mm -hmm. because you can date her. You can take her on a date. You I, you can try, but not with a not with an empathy score or psyche score of one. <laughs> it's gonna be, gonna be hard to get there. Um. Uh. So so I gave it to her and I signed it and I was like, well, doesn't it look a little bit shady to you? And she was like, yeah, it's it's extremely shady. But what if it's real? And so I was like, okay. The other woman you have to do is I think her name is Isabel. It's the the washerwoman. She's labeled mm -hmm. as the washerwoman. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had her. I gave it to her, and she's like, "Look, I don't trust Evart Claire." She's like, "We're not unionized on purpose. Like we are not part of the union." And uh, she's like, uh, "If you read this contract, he's going to be building directly in the middle of the road that takes us here, that mm -hmm. like allows us to get to our home. So why would I sign this?" And basically, I had the option to kind of pressure her on it and kind of, you know, push or whatever. But I just couldn't, other than like, I, I, I mean, I, I think it's good game design because I had to make a choice, right? I was like, I can either pressure her to get this signed and get my gun, which this is the only lead I have on getting my gun. Or I could just not do it because it's bad. Mm. I just didn't do it. I got this far. I got one signature and one woman told me no. And I was like, well, I'm not pushing this any further. Um, so I did not get the signatures. Um, what? So what happened when you went and talked to Evart? Evart's told me, he's like, hey, good job. You did a great job getting those signatures. Um, there is a, the, I found out the person that purchased your firearm at the pawn shop. And I have arranged a meeting uh, with y'all. Um, at the boardwalk at 10 o'clock. Jesus. That's late. Yeah, it's really late. I had to do everything else in this episode and more <laughs> to, to get there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did, did you talk to Claire? You, didn't, you no. didn't deliver. No, I didn't do it. So I just didn't do this. Damn. Yeah. It, uh, it's going to work out in ways that you might be surprised by. Okay. 
Um, well, do you want me to tell you what happens? Yeah, just tell me what happens. Okay, well, at 10 o'clock after a metric ton of side questing, mm -hmm. I went to the boardwalk and there is a woman there who has police sirens and blinkers strapped to her back and they're like flashing mm -hmm. and she's waving around my firearm and she is referring to herself as the pigs and she she's basically like incredibly mentally distressed and like miming that she is a police officer she's like kind of uh she's kind of like reiterating a lot of like pop culture police stuff mm -hmm. like calling for backup and kim you know she's waving around the gun kim draws his weapon and, and i try to talk her down um and eventually uh, i'm able to like say hey we're police too i show her my badge that i recovered and she's like slowing down a little bit and i uh, i see an opportunity with like hand-eye coordination or my physique and I go in and I, and, uh, oh no, before that happens, I get a shivers, which is one of my highest abilities, which is really great because it gives me a ton of information. Yes. And, um, and the shivers was like, I zoom out and then I like, I have this certainty that that gun is unloaded. It's like, I, I just know it, uh, from the last time I had it perhaps, or something like that. Um, and uh, so I go, I tell, I tell Kim, yeah, that, that gun is unloaded. And then I just go in and, like, disarm her. Hmm. Yeah. And she's really distressed. And Kim's like, yeah, she's not any danger to anybody without this gun. And we decide to just tell uh, tell the Hardy Boys about it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they know who she is. And they, uh, I don't have the name here, but um, they're like, oh, that's just Auntie something. It's like everybody knows her, and she's like, "Hey, everybody acts a little weird sometimes," um, and it seems like she's just like a collector of police par paraphernalia and like does this kind of stuff sometimes. And so they go and like pick her up from the boardwalk. Yeah. yeah speaking of the Hardy Boys, I uh, I finally went back during this recording and uh, actually finished that conversation to figure out you know where Ruby went or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, that conversation, I didn't discover anything that you didn't say in that episode. Um, but the interesting thing I did get at the end is that I shook Titus Hardy's hand. And uh, I had the option to say, Titus, you should become a police officer. And I Whoa. got that through like my esprit de corps. Mm -hmm. right? I can like recognize another police officer. And he says, uh, you know, don't you get it? I already am. I just had to make sure you were. Mm. Mm hmm. Dang. Game recognizing game. Yeah, kind of. But then there's this, uh, I mean, I, I think interesting um, argument, right? Be, being implicitly made there that, I mean, Titus Hardy, the Hardy Boys are just a gang, right? And so there, there was this really interesting kind of procedural and narrative thing going on here about asking the question of what makes a police, what makes police police? Mm hmm. Right. And uh, what establishes that power? And it's obviously the power of the state. But then it's protecting in, and serving, just like the Hardy Boys do. They're well, out there it, protecting and serving every day. Mm. But what's interesting, mm. right, is that the power of the state, like in the, I don't know if that makes a, as clean a jump from the real world as it <laughs> to, to this video game as like the writing might have you believe, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
The RCM has some power, and obviously they can make people's lives very difficult, but also the only thing they can do is write a ticket that's easily ignored. Yes. And Especially people. in Martinez. Especially in Martinez, right? And so it's like the... I, I think this implicit critique of the police is just another power structure um, is obviously one that gets made in the real world all the time. Um, and, and, but makes a lot more sense in the real world as opposed to this world, which is very clearly set up exactly what policing is. And it, it doesn't look like policing in the real world. So, mm. um, it, there's something interesting to me going on there with like this, the way this is being navigated. But, um, I just wanted to throw that in cause there's nowhere really to put that, um, in this episode or in the next episode. Yeah. But you got your gun. I got my gun. Um, it's weird because I think I sold like I don't when I look at my inventory, I don't have any bullets. I think oh, I found picked, some bullets. I picked up a nine millimeter bullet and I sold it at the pawn shop because I didn't have my gun. <laughs> and I needed money because I needed to buy the shoes. What shoes? The F A L N shoes. Okay. Like the the sportswear shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I know the FAL brand. Yeah. So okay. I I needed to complete my set. So I, they were fifty bucks from the uh, the merchant, the um the fellow who's selling it out of the the truck there, kind of mm-hmm. the truck driver, the aspirational capitalist. Um. Uh. God. Uh, I'm blanking on that guy. Uh. Salim. I mm-hmm. think is his name. Um, but, uh, okay, well, yeah, I actually found an FALN hat that was very Mm -hmm. cool that I was wearing around. Unfortunately, something happened to that hat, but, uh, we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so you got your gun, you got your badge, Mm -hmm. um, you've done your things with the EVART. What what else did you do this episode? Remember that guy at the campfire in the fishing village that I told you about? Uh, uh, idiot Doom Spiral. Yes, which yep. is a uh, not the most sensitive name. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I found his jacket that he he had been missing. Hmm. And um, it was actually the FALN jacket, and it was unrecognizable when I pulled it off of a fence, uh, up near the boardwalk. And I had the lady in the fishing village, I believe you had her name, who washes things. Yeah, I think it's Isabel. I don't have it mm-hmm. written down, but I, I believe that is true. If it's not, sorry. Took her half an hour to clean it. And she's like, oh, yeah, that, that, that does look like that, that fellow's jacket. And I went to return it to him uh, and complete jamais vu. Like he had never seen that jacket in his life. I had no further insights into it into like this situation but apparently if i had a higher intellect my intellect is one um mm-hmm. and i'm also a superstar cop so my logic has like a minus two so i'm wow. like in negatives here yeah it's, as far as logic is concerned um but apparently i did look at the wiki and if i had some something higher i would have been able to be like oh idiot doom spiral has like a neurological problem like he 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 is forgetting things because of like a medical reason, and I, yeah. I think that maybe I would have been able to like either let him know or try to help him or something, but I just did not make that connection at all. Mm-hmm. You're gonna do a uh, a, a field uh, neuroscience, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> and, and let him know what's going on with his body. Yeah, I unfortunately didn't have the right um, didn't have the right uh, glasses on for that. 
mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. I would need to have the glasses and the uh, the racist uh, hat and the uh, and a pack of cigarettes to like even get a twenty percent chance. That's there's a you whole got a racist hat. What racist hat do you have on? The 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 kind of uh, it, it it's it's. I think you get a negative to persuasion because it's insensitive, but it is the the um, I don't know the correct term for this. Um, What's it look like? It is called oh so the Wikipedia article is um, is it's called an Asian conical hat. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. So it's a real rigmarole if I ever want to. Uh, if I ever want to succeed on a logic check, long story You're short. You're never going to believe the origin of rigmarole. Oh, no. I'm just kidding, but wouldn't that be great? <laughs> wouldn't that be great if you just walk right into that? Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that's a huge bummer. I don't have any of that, any of those issues, uh, although I have several other issues that we will get into. You're a hyper-logical cop, right? I'm, su- I'm super, I'm a very logical cop. Like um, hyper-Holmesian. I would say maybe to the detriment of many other factors that are increasingly important and uh, perhaps infuriatingly important as we get closer to the end of the game. Um, But uh, yeah, well, so you got that jacket. Um, I did a little bit of exploring in this, uh, the peninsula, as they keep Mm -hmm. calling it. And um, I went up past the boardwalk. You found that jacket. Uh, on the boardwalk, I also found that jacket, but I didn't. I didn't do this quest. And if you go all the way to the top, because I'm looking for still, and this is this is all something that's a little bit annoying and weird in the game. Um, I'm looking for three locations. Yes, um, in order you, to mm-hmm. you still haven't done this, right? Like you have not visually calculated where the other shots could have come from right yes i did get three possible locations gotcha. um yeah from the uh the visual calculus which was just like i had a three percent shot at it and i still succeeded there is like a there is a real arc in this game at this point we've both completed the game as we're talking mm-hmm. about this but mm-hmm. there's a real arc in this game on me uh finding the three percent chance let's say are you getting it off of like double rolls of sixes or something? I think I think yeah, double rolls of sixes automatically succeed, and I think that that perilous world, like, ber- oh, like yeah. thought cabinet, yeah. mm-hmm. basically doubles my critical success chance. Like gotcha. a six and a five counts as an automatic success. Got it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so while I was doing the the stuff we were uh, we decided to do for this episode, I was bebopping around. Uh, if you go to the very top of the peninsula, that's called Land's End. Mm-hmm. There is a uh, one of the locations is there, and I determined that the shot couldn't have come from there. Kim mm-hmm. makes it very clear, and so I was kind of looking for the second one, uh, which is on the boardwalk, and I couldn't find it on the boardwalk because it is not on the boardwalk, uh, <laughs> which we'll talk about later. But uh, it's not on the boardwalk. Um, but I did find a dead body, um, mm. and it's a it's a dead body. It's been there, Kim. You know, we kind of do our not not a field autopsy because we don't have to. But basically, what we determine is that the boardwalk is rotten, and um, this guy was walking around, and he uh, had some vodka with him. Uh, he was eating a kebab. He, like, kind of smells like booze. He's got, uh, like, a mostly empty bottle, I think, in his hand or right beside his hand. 
And so he was walking around, uh, and I think we presumed at night, and his one foot went through the boardwalk. And when, when, when the foot went through the boardwalk, he kind of pitched forward and smashed his head on a bench. Mm. And then you froze to death. Or, you know, uh, some combination of trauma and... Perhaps uh, unconsciousness. Unconsciousness being stuck uh, and it being cold and at night, um, you know, so he, so he died. And so it's like a little mini case. Um, you know, Kim says, look, we, we should try to figure out as much as we can. We got a library card out of his pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to see if I have the name written down. Billy, Billy Magine mm-hmm. is written... Um, is the name on it, and I was deeply confused about why there would be a Billie Jean reference. This mm-hmm. is either cultural confluence, right? Where these names just happen to be the thing, or this is a purposeful uh, insertion of the name Billie Jean, mm-hmm. like the pop song, mm-hmm. into this. Either way, it's weird. It's a weird thing to, to appear, and mm-hmm. so... Um, Kim says, hey, let's go report this. Let's report it both to the precinct that we're, we're on the job, and we can call the library to see if we can find out anything about this person. So we do both of those things. Um, we send a uh, morgue officer out to like get, get the body, and then we talk to the librarian. The librarian talks to another librarian and basically says, oh, yeah, Billy Machine is not this guy. Billy Magine is his wife. I don't know his name, but he often is returning books for her. And mm. so, uh, but we do get her address. And so, she basically lives right beside the smoking guy. This is interesting. So you did, uh, I lied one thing. Isn't there an opportunity at the very beginning to just pawn this case off on somebody else? Um, I don't know. I think, yeah. You, you, so, you could just ignore it. I think you could just be like, look, I'm not getting into this. Yeah, well, I think that you can, when you call it in, uh, before you call it in, you and Kim decide, are we going to take this case or are we going to like have the precinct assign somebody else? Because we're yes, technically exactly. on a case. Yeah, I think that might have, well, I, I think I might have closed that off for myself because I had asserted when we found the body, yes, we're taking this case. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe okay. it didn't, uh, maybe there wasn't a second check or maybe there was and I just clicked through it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you can, you can just choose not, basically it's choosing not to do the side quest Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I did, I did choose to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so how did going to find the, the, this person's wife go? Well, we had the address. It's right beside the smoking man's Mm -hmm. apartment on that balcony thing. So I go up there, um, the, the old woman who let me into the apartment complex originally, uh, tells me, I think his name is Victor, maybe. I didn't write it down for some reason, but mm-hmm. it's like, I think it might be Victor, but her husband. And so uh, we go knock on the door and we go in and it's the working class woman who we met outside the the bookstore. That's right. I, we talked about her very briefly during that episode. And uh, we just got to break it to her. And I do a shit job of it. Mm. Uh, I fail I have like an 80% or 84% or something a pretty high uh, percentage empathy check to like break it to her correctly and um, I can't get the words out so the only thing I say is Kim I cannot do this (laughs) and then he's like he's like looking at me and then I just turn to her and I say your husband's dead (laughs) dang 
And yeah, so it's it's a real bad thing, but she's clearly appreciative that, that we talked to her and Kim kind of sets steps in a little bit. And then she's like, oh my God, I have to call my kids. I have to like let them know that, that you know, my husband's dead because he's been missing for, I think she says two days. And she's like, well, should I bring them home? You know, should I call them and have them come home or should I just wait till they get home? And I'm like, yeah, you should probably call them. And uh, then she says, all right, well, thanks. And Kim is like, we should go outside and talk. And then we kind of have a little bit of a decompression. It makes me feel a little bit better about it. And that's it. What's the function of the quest? What What's it doing? Nothing. Mm-hmm. I, uh, it, it feels like, it feels like filler to me. Mm-hmm. It, it's a nice little character moment. There's some pieces in, you know, this is not a pathway I went down conversationally or uh, kind of internally, uh, you know, for the character. But there's there's some opportunities to think about, like, the the way that poverty works here. There, and weirdly enough, when you have the conversation with Lillian about her dead husband, you can have a similar set of conversations or a similar set of thoughts where it's like, this is just the way working class life is. You gotta get you gotta get over stuff. You you know you can't think about melancholy for too long, because mm-hmm. uh, Lillian explicitly says, you know, when my husband died, I mourned for an appropriate period of time, and then I got on with my life. I you know she's got three kids mm-hmm. to take care of, and so so there's this little bit of a thing of like the your ability to wallow in self pity when you're working class is limited or different. And that life is cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that, or that uh, life. Uh, that there's no ability to seek grievance, mm-hmm. right? And in both of these instances, these are not you know things that where you can express grievance, right? The working class woman's husband he died of an accident. Mm-hmm. The Lillian's husband also died, I guess, of an accident. Although Fishing accident, that, yeah. It's maybe we would call misadventure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he was he was drunk uh, in in fishing on a boat, um, and and so there's a little bit of this. Yeah, I don't know. Life is cheap, or you know, there's no mode of address from people from poverty to these systems or just things that kill them. Um, I don't know. I I don't know what the. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. I don't think there's a thesis statement here is what I'm saying. I think the, the, it's more of a uh, an opportunity for some character moments. Um, and it contributes to something else a little bit later down the line. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so... That's rough. Yeah, I, I remember the first time I played it, I think that I was able to break it well. Um, break the news okay and uh, I felt like the real function of the quest was like the moment of camaraderie I had with Kim afterwards Mm -hmm. Um, this playthrough because I'm such a party animal Mm -hmm. one could say Kim does not respect me so even though I like even though I'm not a racist and even though I am, like, doing relatively competent cop stuff, um, I think that the choices I am making 
just like prevent the kind of that kind of camaraderie with Kim. So I haven't had very many like instances of like really connection with Kim. Hmm. I did. I did this quest too, actually, even though I, you know, I wasn't assigned it for the episode, but just because I found it and I wanted to like see how it was, I couldn't deliver the news obviously with a psyche of one. Yep. Um, I slapped myself in the face instead of turning to Kim. There's a lot of options to do that mm-hmm. in this last third of the game or so. Yes. You get a lot of opportunities to slap yourself in the face for mm-hmm. some reason. Um, but uh, Kim just told me, oh, well, I just want to let you know it wasn't the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did tell me that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment I left the uh, the that woman's apartment and after I delivered the news, I a thought cabinet um, thing matured. Mm-hmm. which was the underground uh, hidden uh, homosexual agenda. Mm-hmm. And the resolution was that I just, I'm not obsessed with sexuality anymore. I'm not obsessed with like thinking about my own sexuality. So I told Kim that. I was like, hey, I wanted, I wanted to let you know something. He's like, what? And I was like, I'm not going to obsess over my sexuality anymore. And he's like, that's really great. Maybe you'll have more time for work now. <laughs> and... I actually, uh, later on, because I have one morale, I, um, it was late at night last night and I was, uh, and I took a morale hit off of like a check failure and it was like morale critical. And I like clicked health instead of morale. And then I died and I lost like half an hour of progress because that'll just happen in this game. Yep. Um, so I reloaded right before I talked with Kim about my, uh, sudden understanding of, not being obsessed about sexuality and I did it again. And, um, this time I talked with Kim and I said, Hey, I I want you to know I'm not obsessed with sexuality. And then there was another dialogue option where it's like, but I've got one question. And he's like, what? And I said, are you a member of the homosexual underground? And he's like, I thought you weren't obsessed with this anymore, but as a matter of fact, yes. So let's move on. And that's it. There's no there's no further conversation about it. Hmm. I had a uh, on my way to talk to the uh, working class woman. I stopped back by the that bust of Krasmazov mm-hmm. because now I have communist thoughts mm-hmm. right in my thought catalog, and I was able to contemplate. I got a new thought catalog thing called the suicide of Krasmazov. Oh, and so you know, it's as at the moment, it's right after the uh, I think the invasion. I might have my my details wrong here, but basically, Kresmazov is a little bit like this world's Karl Marx, and he's a little bit like this world's Lenin, mm-hmm. right? So, so he like lived through a communist revolution and like into uh, the development of uh, some sort of provisional government. And as it begins to fall apart, historically, we know, like, quote, we, quote, unquote, like this world, knows that Krasmazov uh, killed himself. And uh, so so uh, I have this thought, and the thought is, like, if communism is was winning and, like, is inevitable in, it, in, in its, like, movement, mm-hmm. then why would Krasmazov give up? Like, why would he give up? So that's the thought. Mm-hmm. And it didn't didn't take long to mature. I mean, it takes a while, but it happened during this episode. And uh, so it, it matured, and the thought was, well, he didn't. 
uh, he was murdered, or you know what? They never found his body, so maybe he didn't. The oh, end. wow. The, the end. It's just like absolute and complete denial, and it gives me a plus one to rhetoric, which is pretty good. I mean, yeah, because it's basically saying conspiratorial thinking means you're just uh, like, the, when you when you spout facts, they're irrefutable. Yeah, well, it's not even, I think that that's such a charitable way of, of <laughs> mm-hmm. conspiratorial thinking. It's not even that, it's just denial. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, uh, one thing is true, and but no, it isn't. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we, we all knew that he died that day, but, but what this statue asks is, what if he didn't? <laughs> um, yes. And so, um, so yeah, so I got that and I got another couple thought catalog things too. When we do our final end of game episode, I can, um, I can, I can talk about what, what all is in my thought catalog at the end of the game, mm-hmm. but um so so we did that and we did one more quest here which i had to like go and start but i think that you actually had begun already yeah um we're talking about uh the very very cool moral Mm -hmm. morel Mm -hmm. i don't know morel yeah probably morel there's two l's um yeah so back behind um felled electronic which i guess i met a man on the way back to to find morel i met a man and his son did you meet the, these people yeah i yeah. didn't meet them here but i did eventually meet them mm-hmm. and um are you talking about oh i gotta say his name <laughs> oh my god uh uh trant heidelstam yes trant. Trant. good old trant <laughs> yeah and his um, son michael mm-hmm. Who, who's just obsessed with worms now i didn't talk to michael but but the trance constantly talking about like kind of lightly roasting his son for being obsessed with worms instead of learning coding. No, that that didn't come up in my conversation at all. I don't. Oh think. wow! I Did you talk we... about his martial arts practice? No, man. Oh, because you can ask him if he works out. Yeah. No, I didn't ask him that. It didn't seem pertinent to my conversation with him. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, I told you I'm not I'm not exhausting these conversations. I'm like I'm asking things that seem important, and I'm continuing on my way. Oh, I'm not exhausting exhausting them either. I'm just asking the unimportant things solely. <laughs> sure, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, good old Trant. Who is he? Like, what's your from this conversation? He's a professor. I know, mm-hmm. What's what's he about? He's a professor of something. Mm-hmm. Quite uh, question mark. He is, I think, from Konigstein, which uh, we know is the inventor of this universe's um, uh, or this fictional world's version of psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. And he's like a critical cultural theory guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Trant is uh, one of the most annoying characters in this game, I think, mm-hmm. um, uh, but is also very funny to me. Um, Do you feel roasted by him? Oh no, not at all. Not at all. He's not. He's not the. He's not my version because he has the uh, the clean patter of a professor. Mm-hmm. I'm not a hundred percent certain, but it seems like a little bit of him is based on Mark Fisher, the mm. the theorist. Uh, but yeah, so like the first thing he says about this building is he's talking about hypertext, and you can ask like, what is hypertext? And he starts talking about how um, it's kind of like the critical connections within culture. And you can talk to him about this building, and he begins to kind of break down for you and explain all this stuff about how um, during the pre-revolutionary period, um, this electronics company 
had basically invented the precursor for our modern computer. They invented invented the tape, Mm -hmm. um, like tape memory. And no one knows how it works. No one anymore understands. Yeah, it's technology that has been lost, uh, like the Library of Alexandria. Basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, and, and the reason it was lost is that they had relocated here to Revachol, and per- particularly to Martinet. And they did that, and they were cornering the market on computers. And in that moment, the revolution happened. And so yeah. the communards um, uh, stole their machinery, used it to do some stuff, used it for propaganda, used it to basically... Uh, transmit their like manifesto of the yeah, commune the, the big one right after the revolution where they announced the existence of the new state right exactly and, and this then, was when he this is when uh he was like i've actually tried to get old uh, martin here to memorize the uh the manifesto because it's historically important but he's he all he cares about is worms <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this. I do not remember this at all. Any any worm stuff. I think uh, that it, maybe it's because I like read about the worms like game uh, at the bookstore. Oh yeah, maybe so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm so I recognize it. But um, but yeah, and so but then you're then I was like, well, what happened to it? And he's like, we don't know. It was destroyed. Um, so so basically that's that's kind of the uh, divergent timeline technologically you know we've talked a couple times over the course of the season about you know what's going on why is technology um you know s- similar to our world in some respects and different from our world in other respects and it's because they just never made the jump to the digital and it's because literally the communist revolution uh broke time at that point or mm. you know uh, swerved the technological um, uh, pathway of this world into a different region mm-hmm. to, to some different ideas but uh, yeah Trant explains all that to me I think that's it hmm uh, yeah that's more or less it he's kind of like an interesting dude I asked him for money and then he got really uncomfortable yeah I was like hey what's up with that I also asked him for money and he said well uh, you know I have money but I don't really I'm not really carrying any money <laughs> not holding Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. I, so I wrote the quote down. Yeah, it says he has quote the artificial cadence of a professor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is that is the thing. I also oh. got from the conversation he was constantly diverging. Like you would ask him about one thing, and uh, and he would he would kind of uh, go on a tangent. But I did ask him about his workout routine, and like Martin told me that he works out four hours after dinner every night using like a a baton-based martial art that is that uh, he describes as ceremonially important to, like, an indigenous people somewhere. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got an esprit de corps, like, auto-check that told me uh, that he is like my— that I have a sense that he is like my half-brother. Weird. Yeah. Mm, I didn't get that at all. Yeah, but mostly uh, it was like a medium check, I think. Because mm-hmm. I'm wearing some, uh, you know, I'm wearing all of my cop clothes. You're, so. you're Mr. Cop. I'm in a full uh, uh, tracksuit now. Cool. Rocking full head-to-toe phone. When you when you equip the last piece, uh, a little dialogue box, it's like, you're, you're like a god. You feel like a god. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's all I got from him. Mm, okay. 
but yeah, so back behind uh, Feld Electronics, there's uh, Moral and uh, what, what's he? So he's a he's a cryptozoologist. He's 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 setting some traps out here. Well, and also Gary. And also Gary, comma, the crypto-fascist with, like, nationalist flags behind his little character portrait. Yeah, they, um... So at the beginning of this, uh, you know, thing, you'd already done this, but I hadn't. There's a mm-hmm. woman named Lena who yeah. is in the uh, uh, Orlean and Rags. And Lena says, hey, my husband has been gone for a few days. Uh, can Basically, can you go look for him? Um, you know, I'm trying to use a phone. And she says she's, she is in a wheelchair. She's a wheelchair user. And she says, um, you know, the it seems like the only two phones are out on the coast. And she says, you know, I can't get there. And in the union office. And I also can't get there. So she basically asks me to, to kind of uh, go look for him. And I explain... You know, I say, how long has he been gone? And I think she says two days at this point. Mm-hmm. And I say, oh, yeah, well, I uh, I broke that. <laughs> I broke the water lock, so he might be stuck over there. And she says, Dang. oh, well, can you figure that out for me? And I say, yes. And so that's how I ended up going and looking for Moral. Mm-hmm. Um, Moral's set in a trap. Gary is complaining about the cold and the damp because they're right here on the... Oops. Yeah, so... Um, Gary is complaining about the cold and the damp and uh, Moral's just setting this trap. And I, I talk to Moral and he tells me that they are setting traps for the ill. I can't remember the name of the peninsula. Um, Insulindian. Insulindian. That's a lot of syllables. Mm-hmm. The Insulindian phasmid. Um, and I ask about the phasmid and he starts describing it. And then I like interject and I was like, wait, uh, Moral... Your wife is uh is is like really concerned about you. You need to go back. Um and uh he's like, "Hey, the, these traps won't set themselves. I've really got to got to check them all." Um because that's what he's doing. I guess he had already set the traps like maybe a day ago and he was going back through and trying to check them. And I ask what he's looking for, and I guess it's basically a stick bug. Yeah. Yeah, it's a stick bug that um, that is really hard to see. And I don't know if I find out about this now or back when I touch base with Lena, but the reason why it's so hard to see is it basically mind controls you into not being able to detect it. Well, that's their theory because they are cryptozoologists. Yes. And they are looking for cryptids, which are fictional animals <laughs> well i don't think they would say that oh and to be clear my character immediately is like yeah or he plays it very cool through mm-hmm. most of this but occasionally i'll pick the option that like is clearly believing that crypto that cryptids exist mm-hmm. uh, but yeah they are like they are straight up believers um and so yeah so it's a it's a stick bug and i think there have only been four sightings this century mm-hmm. uh, three or four or something like that and they uh so yeah they're true believers and they're looking for it and he says okay well i'll go back to my wife lena if you will check the traps for me yeah and there are four of them and they're kind of scattered around and two are really close by yep two are like one's you're sitting on one basically mm-hmm. and and the other one's just south of uh, of of here um, I think it's always the last one that you look at the, uh, the locusts, which are the, um, the little tr- bait that they put in there, live locusts, uh, Morel says, while most stick bugs are 
don't necessarily uh, eat, you know, other creatures. There's strong suspicion that the uh, that the Insolidian Phasmid does. So in the last one, all of the locusts are missing. Is that the case with you? Yep. Mm-hmm. So you can go back and uh, and speak with them. Morel's. Oh, before I actually go back, I talked to Gary after I talked to Moral. Yeah. And Gary's acting uh, quite sus, I believe, is the, is the term. Well, so here's something interesting mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Before we talk, so Gary is labeled the crypto-fascist. Yes. Do you think that Morel is also a crypto-fascist? It's interesting. Later on, not out here, but back at the hotel, um, Gary... Morell describes Gary as he's got a lot of quirks. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of how he puts it. Hmm. I so I got something a little bit. The, the reason I'm asking mm-hmm. is that I had this conversation with Morell, and he was like, "Yeah, we've been stuck over here for a couple of days, and so we've just been making the best of it." Says something yeah. to that effect, and I say, "Oh yeah, because I drove my car over the water lock and broke it." <laughs> <laughs> I'm unable to admit that. I was like, oh, yeah, it got broke. It got broke mm-hmm. somehow. Oh, no, I, I own up to it every time. I, mm-hmm. I'm very matter-of-fact with all of this. Yes, I did that. <laughs> it is what it is. I don't know what to tell you. And uh, he says, oh, you know, well, I saw a billboard in in the lock for Samarin butter, and it, and, and it broke it. And what? so he's he's blaming it on a butter sign, but it's specifically a, a a regional or ethnic butter type. And so I so that made me think. I was like, hmm, is the is Morel also you know in this this ro-? And I think that if he is some sort of fascist, right, he is like uh like a passive one, right? Like he mm. just has all this ideology that he's not even conscious of. It's also where, very strange that Gary is labeled a crypto fascist, and in when you initiate conversation with him, he immediately calls Kim a slur. Yes, he does. Just out of the I like, and I'm and and I'm like, wow, that that's still a crypto fascist. Yeah, and so, well, he does that too. And then I, in that conversation with Gary, I was like, hey man, I found your mug, and, and I was like, hey, I went in your house. Like I'm able to intimidate him multiple times. Sure, yeah. Um, and that actually pays off in something in just a minute. But what what were you going to say about Gary? No, that's what I. That's all I was about oh, to say. Okay. Is like why? Like I think crypto fascist. It doesn't seem like he's hiding it. No. Yeah. So um, that's all. Yeah. So I check the traps, get all the kind of, same kind of stuff, and uh, go back and talk to Moral at the uh, at the Whirling and Rags when he goes back there, and he basically is like, "Thank you for doing this." Mm-hmm. Now I can see. Uh, here on our show notes, right on our kind of guide of what we're doing in episode to episode, there's like multiple more steps to this quest. Yeah. Uh, I didn't do those. Okay, so I, I remember earlier you were talking about how you were choosing dialogue options that indicated that you did believe in the Phasmid, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Does or, your I, char- was either, I was either completely neutral mm-hmm. 
just the facts or yeah. occasionally being like, oh, yeah. And I certainly listen to all of Lena's descriptions. Okay. Uh, now of the different cryptids. But so that's what you've been saying and you've listened. But does your character in like your character's canon, the role playing aspect of your character, does your character believe in cryptozoology? I, I think that, that I mean, the way that I was playing the character is I'm playing it exactly like Kim. Because mm-hmm. Kim does not believe, doesn't believe in cryptids. And he makes that, mm-hmm. that pretty clear. But he's mm-hmm. really willing to entertain it. And, to th- and what if? You know, he's got good humor about it. And I feel the same way. I don't really believe in cryptids, but what if? That's so interesting because I, I'm just completely in. All in. <laughs> like, I heard it and I was like, absolutely. They definitely exist. And all I'm getting from Kim is just incredu- incredulity. Yeah, I think if I pushed it more, uh, you know, he might he might uh, push back. He might push back, but I'm not mm-hmm. really pushing it. I'm just saying, oh, interesting. Tell me more. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm. that's interesting. So I inspected the traps. I went and told Morel that hey, the locusts are missing on one, and but there was something about my motoric score kind of cued me into like the, the the trap looked tampered with and it was it was a little uh, a hobbit lay here in terms of the level of my insight because i was like it looks like little child hands messed with this trap which mm-hmm. i have no idea how i was able to discern that mm-hmm. um and i said you know what i need to talk to kuno which i've got a pretty good rapport with kuno at this point you know we split a kilo together yeah oh that's right yeah so um I go talk to Kuno, and there's something off about the conversation. I go to his little hideout where he has, like, a pig's head, and the locusts are everywhere. (laughs) Just on the ground. (laughs) So you just stole them. Um, No, the locusts were everywhere. I did take the the locusts. Yeah, he stole them. He stole them, okay. Yeah. yeah. And I go back to him, and he basically starts describing a, um, it's his big art piece. He doesn't use those words, but that's what it is. Yeah, it's, it's Night the, City or whatever. Yeah, it's the city of the damned, right? <laughs> and and all of the locusts are going to starve to death. And that will be like the culmination of the the, the climax of the art piece. Um, and I just tell him, hey, it's really important that we find this phasmid. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna need to take these locusts. It's really funny because Kuno S is like basically calling him out and saying that she is empathetically embarrassed by his enthusiasm for his art piece. Yeah, she she makes fun of Night City anytime it comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you did this. No. No, this is for your Night City just the come... other playthrough. No, no, Night City's just come up a couple times. <laughs> oh, okay. Because because uh remember I went into his shack and like mm. asked him about the pig head. I, I don't see. know if that, I don't know if we talked about that, but we I did, did not. do that. We did and not. he explained a little bit of Night City to me of of his like uh, of his um, fiction, of his like fan fiction about yeah, basically. Night City and whatnot. Okay, so I uh, go back to Moral and be like, "Hey, here's the here's the locust. I told the kid not to mess with this anymore. So you haven't done any of this, no. Well, what did you do?" I went, I talked to him. I was like, yeah, that's, that's what we did. Or, or you know, um, you know, I did it. And then I was able to have a check to like basically push things forward to like ask moral about more stuff. And I ended up, I failed that check and then insulted him. 
Whoa. Yeah. Like insulted him to say it's bullshit? I, I don't think I said it's bullshit. I'm not 100% sure how the conversation went, honestly. Mm. Um, even though I just did this. Um, <laughs> yeah, like this morning. No, not this morning, but last night. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not 100% how the conversation happened. It kept going back and forth from Moral to Lena. Something that I said, it, what, what, I, what I assume to be a neutral statement mm-hmm. about... I think you have to be all in, basically. Mm. And so that was taken as an insult. So a check came up that was like a fairly, you know, minimal check of like, um, it was a yellow check. I'm not quite sure what skill, but the... Uh, Motorix. Or it might have been, yeah, yeah, Motorix. Uh, it might have been Perception. And, but I, during that conversation, I guess I insulted Morel. And so I have a negative one to it and I already have a bad Motorix mm. thing. And so I failed the white check, and so I could not push this any further. And uh, I did not learn any more about the insulin in Phasmid. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I also talked to Gary again. I, I, I did talk to Gary again. I've got a big stinger for the end of Gary here. But, but so, so, hold on. You went and got the the uh, locusts. Yeah, I got the locusts, and he said, hey, could you load that trap again for me? I see. Oh, okay, gotcha. So I go and load the trap, uh, which you have to, like, remember which one it is. It's always the last one. If you want to, if you're speed running this, I guess you do the one um, <laughs> closest to the uh, to the um, lock mm-hmm. so you can get there quick. But So I go load the trip again, and when I come back, Morel is not there. Morel's so sick. He got a fever out in the cold and the damp because he's oh. out there for like two days. And Lena is like kind of, she's a little morose, I would say. And I'm talking to her and she's like, hey, thanks so much for helping us out. Um, we're probably not going to be able to like complete our search for the Phasmin because Morel's so sick. He's got like a pretty bad fever. And I, and I had the opportunity to be like, hey, what's going on? And she says, yeah, the reason why we're out here is because on our first date, Morel and I's first date, I tell him this childhood story I have when I was five and a half years old, right, Mm -hmm. of seeing this stick bug that was like all brown but white inside, and it it, it seemed huge to me. And I was just transfixed for a moment and then it like went into the reeds. And I told him that story and he just picked it up and ran with it. His eyes lit up. We fell in love and he's been obsessed with the uh, insulidian phasmid ever since. Yep. And there is a part of me now that is wondering, it, it was that actually real? Yeah, because she's been telling she says she says she's been telling that story since she was a child, and it was you know it's a thing that she tells at parties and on dates. It's just kind of like part of her patter almost. Uh, and now it's almost like, is the, did the story take on a life of its own? Exactly. Right? Because yeah. now the the telling of the story has far more animation animating energy than the actual memory of the event that led to the story. Yeah. Um, there is a psyche check that I can do. Um, it's a red check that, uh, basically says, Hey, your relationship with Morel is authentic, irrespective of the 
truth of this story. Mm-hmm. I don't choose it. I choose a different option um, because I didn't think that it like fit with my character necessarily. But you don't, that red check does not come up again. Huh. Interesting. Um, so I was not able to comfort her. And basically, I leave with like finishing the quest. Like that quest line gets completed. I think find the phasmid still open, maybe, but mm-hmm. otherwise, uh, they they leave. Um, and I guess here at the end, I actually cracked the Gary thing way back when we were on the coast. I didn't I didn't wait until we got back to the hotel. But did oh, did you talk to him more? Because you can uh read his is it physical instrument that allows you to read his body basically yeah it was it was like there's something bulky underneath his coat yeah it, you you tell this my thing has nothing to do with this we're oh know. okay so i look at him and there's just something about his body doesn't quite add up and i already know that he threw away his mug into the uh trash container because i found that mug um and I basically, because I had already intimidated him about opening his door for Claire, um, I'm able to get him to admit that he threw away the bloody clothes um, of the uh, hanged man. And once I get that ball rolling, I'm like, do you have anything else of the hanged man? And sure enough, he has an armor piece. Yeah. um, Which I confiscate. Yeah, he's got the strength. He is like walking around clinking too. Yes, <laughs> you can hear it. So, so I actually did that kind of passively on accident, and the, and the reason I was able to lean on him is that I'd done so much intimidating of him through conversation, mm-hmm. and that was giving me like plus four or something across the board. Um, but I, I was able to ask him about Seolites, who is, uh, you know, that's kind of like the East Asian, um, you know racial configuration that exists in this fictional world in the, in the same way that like kind of Spain and Mediterraneanness is compressed into mesk mm-hmm. in this world. And, uh, you know, central Europe is this like Koenig's Koenigsberg thing or Koenig, Koenigstein thing. Anyway, right. There are mm-hmm. all these like facsimiles. Um, uh, Kim is Seolite, which is kind of Japanese, kind of Korean, obviously, um uh anyway so that kind of thing so mm-hmm. i had a conversation that i could uh, or like a check i could make around that but i was getting a minus 1 because kim was there and so i waited till kim went to bed and mm-hmm. i went down and talked to gary and i was like tell me about this seal light thing because again remember i role playing as a racist mm-hmm. and um so I, so i talked to him about it and he begins telling me about this the grand seal light conspiracy which mm. is where Seolites are creating technology. So, right, this is very, uh, you know, Japanese technology company kind of moral panicky stuff. Very, mm. very much like the United States in the 1980s, like the, the imaginary that's being evoked here, right? Yes. So, um, so basically he says, yes. So Seolites come to Revachol, uh, the Imperial Corps, wherever, mm-hmm. the rotting Imperial Corps. They come here. They uh, import their technology. So all of our technology is like based on their computational mechanisms. They learn our instruments, such as cello and violin. Mm. Then they also come in other ways. This is just like conspiratorial thinking, right? So they come and they get employed in things like the RCM, 
So then they have access to massive databanks of information about us. And they're so good at art that we just let them do it. And so it's like this, you know, invasion, moral panic, mm-hmm. you know, conspiratorial, white supremacist nonsense. But then there's like no output to it. There's no conclusion to this. I mean, the conclusion is like, isn't that interesting that there's a conspiracy? And I was like, yeah, that is really interesting. And that was it. Dang. And it never came up again. Isn't that weird? That's wild. I wonder, you have to wonder like how much, I know that Kim has been silent, you said, whenever you like it. Mm-hmm. He is at the point he is silent, and any time that I say a racist thing, he 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 will like frown. But I wonder how. It. I wonder whether or not the fact that this, um, this was specifically about like his race in a particular way would have like caused more friction than usual. Like, had he had been there, I don't know. Yeah, but that's it. But it. But he wasn't. And it just kind of lies there inert, huh? Well, and the game explicitly says you'll have a better conversation when Kim is not around. So Mm. I went when Kim wasn't around. Sure, sure. So I don't know. Um, It is interesting to me that the game has dispensed with, like, I can't. So any time that I was able to look at those mugs before, right, Mm -hmm. I was able, one of my lines of logic was, it's just funny. You know, it's they're mm-hmm. just funny. They're just funny little caricatures. I don't know what everyone's so upset about. Mm. I could not buy. I didn't have the opportunity. Maybe you know, it's because of my character build or because of the way the conversation path went. I could not talk to Gary the crypto fast crypto fascist about our shared enjoyment of the funniness of those mugs. Mm. Meaning that there, it, it immediately went. It, my line of, of thought about them before can be constrained to like a passive white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. Of like uh, unideological in the sense of I'm what's not, the big deal? What's the big deal? I'm not thinking about it. I'm not thinking about it as a politics, right? Mm-hmm. But the game shortcuts that or, or short circuits that maybe by immediately attaching it to a politics later. And I think one way we could read that is to be like, yes, obviously, these things are always attached to a politics. And it's not a surprise that someone who is a big racist would have a big collection of racist mugs. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, basically the one reading be, hey, if you scratch the surface here, you see the structure. Exactly. And, And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like once you're deep in it, there's no going back. Exactly. The the other reading and and the one that, you know infinite development time and infinite time of thought that might be interesting to think about is that the game actually puts the pieces together for you, right? Rather than making a short circuit, it just explains that linkage to you, right? Mm -hmm. I can imagine a world in which I'm able to talk about the mugs with Gary about how funny they are. And he says, you know, they are funny, but there's this conspiracy that, you know, and this is part of the reason why I collect them is to make sure people understand the history of this conspiracy, right? And, and so mm-hmm. one gives you exactly what you're saying, right? The surface, and then you scratch the surface, and beneath that, you see the structure. On the other side, there's an opportunity for this game to map the relationship 
that really happens in the real world, right? I mean, this is this is a white supremacist conversion tactic that happens. Sure. You you create a scenario in which there's a little bit of friction, and then you kind of sidle up to someone and you say, you know, hey, did you know that blah 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 blah? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I have certainly I have seen that conversation happen, and I have had people try to lure me into that exact kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was someone that we went to high school with who once tried to tell me about a Jewish conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um, out of like a, a completely unrelated conversation, right? In a very kind of sidle up and, and elbows kind of, well, you know that the reason things are this way is because, uh, you know, the banking system is, you know, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, I... Yeah, I don't and think it's basically is... a way of like uh, the the lighthearted veneer, quote unquote lighthearted veneer, the unserious veneer is kind of just a, a, a subtle way to like test Right. Like, yeah, it's, it's the way of like, hey, how receptive are you to this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the way that, you know, uh, uh, in, in the contemporary moment, people talk about memes as a, a right wing conversion mechanic. Right. Yeah. You start it with the joke and then the joke becomes something a little bit more serious. And then that becomes a slippery slope into um, outright, uh, you know, white supremacy. Or And before that, that was it was just uh, I guess we called it the dog whistle. The uh, Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's the the older term, I guess. But it's mm-hmm. the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all to say, I think that uh, I'm, I'm not belaboring this point to, to critique the game. I think um, you know, I think your reading is is the one that is intended here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also interesting to kind of think about the other about the pathway that the game is already setting out, and then that it chooses not to go down. That I think might have been a little bit more powerful or, or a little bit more compelling as a explanatory mechanism. You don't have to you don't have to reveal the answer to this, but is this the last time there's any kind of engagement with this aspect of the character? As far as like being a big racist? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, there are more opportunities to talk about racism and fascism. And they come up a couple more times, both in relationship to my character and relationship to NPCs. Mm-hmm. However, I can't think of another time throughout the rest of the game where I can develop it as a character, meaning where I can make choices that kind of assert those values, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Okay. So it becomes much more of a passive proposition. And I think that that's true for a lot of things in this game after this point which is that you have made choices about how you've built your character and what kind of things that you're doing with that character and what kind of dialogue options you've chosen. And the limbs have been trimmed on like the tree of, of the possibility tree here. Exactly. And so now it's about seeing those repercussions happen. Mm-hmm. I think for most character builds, quote unquote, weird to talk about, uh, you know, a racist fascist as a character build, but uh, you know, that's, that's the world we live in. Mm hmm. Okay, well, I think that's it for this episode. If you enjoy this uh, and you want to listen to it as a podcast uh, rather than as a YouTube video, there's a link down in the description below. You can follow us both on Twitter. You should check out Ranged Touch uh, on Twitter, at Ranged Touch, in order to see all the other stuff that we're doing. And if you like the show and you want to support it, you can back us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ranged Touch. And so uh, you can go and support us there. A little as a dollar, uh, as little as a dollar a month will help us. Ugh. Hard to speak today, and um, yeah, I think that's it. We've got all kinds of other shows that you'll enjoy. Oh, and you can listen to Danny and I talk about uh, uh, what we're up to just generally outside of Mages and Murder Dads. Mm. 
Hmm. Uh, if you subscribe for five dollars a month and listen to our uh, monthly podcast, there's a big backlog. That's like that's that's a lot of entertainment. It's a lot of entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about books. We talk about just whatever we got going on. Nice. Okay. Well, we'll be back in the next episode in two weeks with episode seventy-two. Uh, we're going to be talking about the church, and uh, maybe we're going to track down Ruby. Yeah. For you, it'll be two weeks. For us, it's like two minutes from now. Yeah. And also. <laughs> It it happened probably two and a half months ago. <laughs> it's a lot of time. A lot of time. All right. Lot of time. Ciao.